Hello everyone, and welcome to the King's Talk, presented by Cap City Crown. This is Tony. Me, as always, we've got my good friend John. John, you're a good friend nowadays. Uh, I've moved up. You've moved up in life. You went from acquaintance. You went from stranger to acquaintance to employee to now I see you as almost my equal. It's been three games since we've last talked on this podcast. In those games, we played OKC, the number two seed, at least at that time in the Western Conference. Took them down by big games from Shea. Shy? Shea? Shea, right? Mm-hmm. Shea. Shea, you got it. Shea Gilgis <laughs> Alexander. Darren Fox also. They both dropped 40, him and Fox. And then we went on to Saturday night where Keegan Murray erupted for 47 points against the Utah Jazz, a game where Fox didn't play. Sabonis had a pretty good game himself then, but he had an even better game the next game on Monday night against the... The, the Wizards. The Wizards. It's just one of those teams we never played. It's like, okay, wait, who do we play? So those East Coast teams beat them at home. I wasn't really ever concerned about that game. It was a little close at the beginning. Kind of seemed like the Kings were playing down to their level. And it kind of got close at the end, I would say, too. I did a little, like, in the last couple minutes. But, I mean, the scrubs were kind of on the floor at that point. Anyway, um, but, yeah, 3-0 and since we last talked. It's good news. I think the last time we were talking on this road or this homestand, they needed to go at least 4-2. and Right now, they're sitting at... Are they sitting at three and zero or three and one? Have they? I forget how many they played in a row. Three and zero of the six game homestand. They got three left against three and zero. The three toughest teams: Boston, and then I forget the order, but it's Minnesota and Phoenix on a back to back. Great back to backs. The Kings' biggest weakness. That'll be be a good way to end it, though. And so it's really going to show who the Kings are. I think, right? Yeah, all three of these games, but particularly the back to back. They're playing really, really good basketball right now. Obviously, I think the biggest thing besides some of the individual performances over the last three games, is the fact that they've had at least 32 assists in each of those games. I think they had 32 in the first home game, then against... Yeah, now I'm forgetting who they played. Who they played? <laughs> who they just they played OKC, OKC, Jazz, and then the Wizards. So they had 32 assists against OKC. They had, I think, 36 against the Jazz, and then 35 against the Wizards on Monday night. And they're just... The ball movement, the player movement is good. They're not playing defense end-to-end in terms of the whole game, but they are utilizing their defense to generate offense, and it's it's opening things up. Also, it's just like by, by opening things up, by playing the right way, by playing hard, it's allowing guys like Keegan Murray and DeMontis Sabonis to generate the best production out of them. I mean, they've had some of the best games they've had all season. Definitely Murray, obviously. And obviously, Sabonis gets to kind of like an aggression thing, too. He's been nice and aggressive, which, like Fox or anybody else that's a star on their team, really opens things up for everybody else. So everybody just seems to be doing what they need to be doing better. But at the same time, I mean, you had to win these three games, don't you think? You don't lose these teams at home. OKC's good, but you can beat OKC pretty long, I guess. I wouldn't take that away from them. They have versatility around the perimeter and whatnot, and they have a host of very good, talented young players. but. They're not imposing, and the Kings clearly beat them twice. Not blowouts or anything, but fairly handily in two games this season. That's a team you match up well against, basically. And then the Jazz and the Wizards are who they are. And you had to win those. So they're playing well, but I'm really interested to see what happens in the next three. Yeah, I agree. Like, OKC is the second seed in the West, but it's like one of those teams you're not too worried about yet. Almost Maybe like the Kings last year, honestly. Kind of like a newer a team that's been kind of poor for a while. A little younger of a team. Has some good players on the team, though, as well. 
but the Kings, are, they just seem like a step above them. I mean, the Thunder were pretty good last year, but the, the Kings definitely have, I think. How good, though? Were they, they didn't make the playoffs, though. Good enough to be a playing team that made it close against, I forget who they played. They made the, they made the playing last year, really? Yeah, they were a playing team, and they were kind of like one of the surprises, I think, in a lot of ways. So it's a little different from the Kings, but I definitely agree that there's an element to that in terms of like inexperience. Yeah, they inex- that's the word. The Kings just have a little more experience in maybe being able to close out ball games than OKC does. But then, yeah, then you have the Jazz and you have the Wizards. Like the- <laughs> Those would have been inexcusable. I was kind of afraid that it might be a trap game where the Kings just kind of come out. Like, okay, we're playing the Jazz, we're playing the Wizards, and then just lose. It's like, ugh. I was, I was a little worried, especially in that Wizards game. And it was kind of getting close, and the Wizards were keeping up with them. Seemingly, at least in that first quarter and a little into the second quarter. But they started pulling away towards the end, and it wasn't really that close. And if, if it got any closer, the starters would have come back in and cleaned up the mess. But good couple wins. And yeah, then they play Boston, right? Yeah, that'll be a good game. And in that last game against the Wizards, like I said, the ball movement in the last three games, including that one, was on point in terms of where and what they want to be. And they were playing pretty good stretches of defense at times. But Mike Brown pointed out that there were still lulls. And I feel like that really summarizes what we were saying, I think, last week or the week before, where it's like there's just something about this team where there's an inconsistency in terms of like 100% effort. It's not like, you know, I think I think we were talking about in terms of like their fight and whatnot and, the, you know, the ability to take a punch in the mouth, you know, basically let your guard down at the beginning of the game and get hit first and then not really respond. And those were against good teams. And then he's talking about lulls against a team like Washington. And when he was talking about the lulls against Washington, he was saying it's one of those things that, you know, against playoff teams in the playoffs, you can't do that because those stretches become bigger and they become harder to overcome, essentially is what he said. And I feel like that's important to point out because it's like this team still has a ways to go. And I know it doesn't really matter that much, but the way that the, the scrubs, as you call them, closed out, as I like to call them the summer league team, <laughs> close out the game was really poor and Mike Brown mm-hmm. was really disappointed in that and he obviously reminded everybody he's like you know in Houston when there was garbage time or whatever you want to call it Keon Ellis earned his spot in his rotation now he's backing up De'Aaron Fox right now like who would have thought that could have happened all from playing the right way in minutes where it's hard to really bring out your best self sometimes because they're insignificant and I think in terms of like that winning culture of I mean, the Kings obviously have the culture, but in terms of that winning attitude of bringing the effort and the fight 100% of the time and preventing the lulls, that's got to come top to bottom. And even the starters and primary players weren't perfect end to end. They were responsible for some of the lulls. But seeing the back end of the rotation or the, I guess, the back end of the roster perform that way, to me, and maybe this is too much of an old, like kind of looking too much into it, but I feel like that almost speaks to that overall issue that still lingers and you know the issue that will be interesting to see how much it affects them against really good teams in these next three games at home mm-hmm. you're totally right and brown's right i guess you quoting brown like those lulls against the celtics like yeah it's, it's very insignificant against the wizards you can come back from that but celtics um the way the the, the timberwolves have been playing phoenix with their superstars out on the court I mean, those those lulls, maybe 10-0 runs for the Wizards, but it can be like 20-5 to runs for the better teams in the league and 100% all the time. So it seems like that's what they've been kind of struggling with that all year, really. 
and, and we put it this way, I think, at one point, basically, what happens when things aren't going the Kings' way? I'm not trying to minimize the way they've played the last three games, but a lot of things went their way. They've been shooting the ball well. They've been able to move. They haven't been bothered so much by length. The Thunder, like I said, aren't like a big team. The Jazz used a lot of zone, and they're shooting well. And then the Wizards, are they, they didn't have anybody to guard Sabonis, really. They didn't have anybody to guard Fox. They don't have any defenders to stop the Kings' best players. Things are going to go their way. But, you know, it's going to be different. It's, it's a lot different when you have Jordan Poole jacking up threes at a 30% clip or whatever he's shooting this season versus, like, everybody the Celtics has mm-hmm. and the Suns and the Timberwolves, which you talk about size and length. I mean, like, gee whiz, that's going to be interesting to see. And is there going to be a contrast? So, yeah, it's going to be huge. And it's going to be another measuring stick moment. It's like a stretch of three games that are really going to be a good time to evaluate where this team's at in mid to late December. Especially at home, too. Yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, like, this team needed to play, need, needed to come into the season and dominate the home court. They're 10-3 and three at home now, which is, if you would have told any of us that at the beginning of the season, you'd be saying, that's exactly what they need to be doing. Perfect. Mm-hmm. So, you don't want to end up 11 and what, 11 and 5 or 10 and 10 and 10 and 6 at home after these next three games. So it's not only about proving who you are, but it is about also securing the home court, which matters. You know, Fox pointed it out because he got asked about it after the Wizards game. It's like, that's so big and it sounds so simple and it's, it's obvious, but it's a good idea to point out the fact that if you have home court advantage and it's something to bring up with a team that did lose a seven game series despite having home court advantage. Fox noted that you have to use that to your advantage. You have to be able to do that. And the best teams, the teams that go deep, do that. You have to utilize any break you can get. What do you think they can go in these three games? What do you expect? I, I'm I'm guessing... Let me. What's the order of the back-to-back? Is it Phoenix, then Minnesota, or is it Minnesota and Phoenix? Suns, then Timberwolves. Yeah, I don't... I, I My gut feeling is saying they go one and two. I think they drop it to Boston. They've never really played... Like, in terms of getting hit in the mouth and responding... I feel like the two games against the Celtics last season were games where the Kings, I think like in that first game in Boston, they kept it close. And then maybe at the end of the third, into the fourth, maybe it was the whole second half. I don't exactly recall, but it was just a collapse. And it just, the score, the the top came off for the Celtics. They were just blowing the Kings out and it quickly got out of hand. And then I want to say in the game at home, it was a similar thing. I think maybe a little later in the game where they just kind of fell off and they didn't have that ability to fight through and, bring the 100% effort all the way through to the end of the game. So it'll be interesting to see if they can do that. But for that reason, I would, I'm going to say that the Celtics win. And I think as we're recording this, I think they've won their last five straight at the top of the Eastern Conference. I think the Kings can take one against Phoenix. I think the first of the back-to-back they'll take. Uh, no particular reason why. I just don't see them dropping three games at home in a row. They've proven that they have played well at home and that they can feed off of energy and respond to certain challenges. And I think they can beat Phoenix. It's going to be tough, though, because even without Durant and Beal in the first game, they were far from perfect, trying to contain Booker and make him work. Beal was still out two weeks, so he's not going to play. But I expect Durant to be there. So what's going to happen with another star? But the Kings are on their home court this time. Again, I don't see them losing three straight. So I'll I'll pick the Kings in that one. But the last game, second of a back-to-back, probably working your tail off to beat Phoenix and then facing a really big, long team like Minnesota, who you who you went into their place and beat, they're going to want to come in to beat you. I feel like the factors are in the Timberwolves' favor. Although I do want to look up if Timberwolves are coming off a back-to-back or anything like that first before I 
lock in my pick before it's my final answer, Regis. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of with you, too. The Celtics, I, I don't remember the last time the Kings beat the Celtics. I barely remember ever playing the Celtics. I remember they played them in Boston right before Thanksgiving, right? And when they kind of went on that bad stretch last season, I believe they played in Boston. And then I do not remember playing Boston at home last year. Although I did go to a Boston game a couple of years ago. Uh, Justin Holiday's best game as a king. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And so, I mean, arguably some bonuses. He dropped like 30 and 20. It was okay. quite the game performance by him. Why would we talk about Sabonis? The, clearly the big yeah. pull there was Justin Hall. J-Hall? J-Ho? What's up, J-Ho? Where is he? Where's, where's Justin Holiday? Oh, we just saw him play. Yeah, they did. He was, he was on... Um, 18. He was on... I forget. He was on... <laughs> he's on the Nuggets, I think, right now. <laughs> That's Nuggets. right. Seems like a team you'd fit in well with. Yeah, why not? Like a shitty version of Contavious Caldwell Pope. Yeah, it is exactly what he is. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, he was pretty good. I mean, he was shooting like 40% when the Kings traded for him on the Pacers. And then he just shot like 32 on the Kings. What, I mean, yeah. it was whatever. The Kings weren't doing anything into that season anyway. But anyways, two and, one and two. Let's see, let's see if the Kings can prove us wrong. Celtics. Yeah, you, think you think one and two as well? I think one and two as well. And I would pick the same games as you for about the same reasons. Celtics, like I was saying, like I don't, I do not remember the last time the Kings beat the Celtics. Uh, maybe this year is different. Then again, you assume they lose that back to back the way they've been playing back to backs, and then I guess they beat the Suns. <laughs> you know, so I mean, that's my yeah. best logic. Hopefully not zero and three, and hopefully two and one, and even more hopefully three and zero. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, first of all, I did look it up. Minnesota will have a day off. They play at home on Thursday, and then they come to Sacramento on Saturday. So they'll have a day off there. So not coming off a back-to-back. So that only heightens what favors Minnesota. But, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, I do feel like the most likely outcome is 1-2. and two, But 2-1 two and one is as likely as 0-3, oh I feel like. Because if the Kings beat the Celtics, I feel like everything I said about the back-to-back stands. And then all of a sudden you're 2-1. and one, And you went on a 5-1 and one, uh, homestand, which is really good. But then also it's like, if you lose the Celtics, that Suns game isn't exactly a gimme. So they could easily yeah, go. Yeah, I agree. And then all of a sudden we're like, "Oh, the Kings can't King can't beat good teams on their floor." You know, that'll be the storyline. Like I said, this is such a good measuring stick for where they're at and where they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Moving on to another topic, Keegan Murray scored forty-seven, and then when he scored twenty-five or twenty-something the other yeah, night, yeah, twenty-five. So came back, responded with a good game, put together two great performances. What was different from Keegan Murray? I guess what did you see? Um. Well. John, if I'm going, being completely honest, <laughs> I was at a bar putting around. I was at Tipsy Putt, if any of you have ever been there. It's connected to the Golden One Center. So I was there. I was watching it as much as I could because they did have the games on. And I was wearing my Keegan Murray Christmas sweater, which was pretty cool as I watched him go off. I can't say I watched every shot he made, but I did see him going off and people were complimenting my sweater, which was fun. He just seemed more confident, really, at the end of the day. I mean, that, that shot especially... That ended the third quarter where it was a step back three. I mean, everyone knew he was shooting a three in that building, even his defender. And he just kind of crossed him up a little, took a step back, and just, I mean, nothing but net. He just splashed it in. He just looks so more confident out there. He's like, he's not going up with his like lazy, kind of timid shot attempts that he seemed to do like just a couple weeks ago. Like, even after, we were, I think we talked about a podcast a couple weeks ago about. Like, oh, like, Keegan Murray looks timid going up up for layups, and he just looks shy and this and that. But, I 
mean, ever since we really had that conversation, he probably listened to the podcast, as most people do, and was like, you know what? Yeah, I, I need to stop doing that. I'm a, I'm a great player, the number four overall draft pick. I need to come out with confidence because I have that in me. I, I know I have that skill, and I mean, he's been playing great really ever since. And I just, I just see a different confidence in him in his shot. Yeah, I think he, there's an element of his confidence being a little better. I think that comes a lot from the confidence of lighting it up from three. I think one of the things that about the last two games that you've seen is, I mean, in that 47-point performance, 12 of his 16 field goals were from three. And he shot 4 of 7 from three on 9 of 17 overall from the field. I, I, I don't remember, I think of those five shots, he might have gotten to the rim on his own once. I feel like one, he came off a screen, got set up, pulled up for a mid-range. I think two of them were cutting dunks. Maybe that came in transition. One of them did. We were talking a couple of weeks, maybe like a month ago, honestly, about Keegan Murray's attempted jump to being that next level player. And it's one of those things where we were saying, was it an aggression or a confidence thing? Or was it just kind of more of like balancing out, trying to adjust into being that guy while still taking advantage of your strengths, the kind of which you saw last season? And I think he's just kind of simplifying things. He's kind of letting things open up for him. We were talking a good deal at the beginning of this podcast about this last three-game stretch, including 30-plus assists in every game. The ball's moving. There's good player movement. Things are opening up for guys. And Fox said something interesting after the 47-point game for Murray. He said, you know, the, the, those 47 points essentially came to him. And he said the same thing about Sabonis a lot of the time. But again, it's that aggression factor, too, for Sabonis. For Murray, not so much. It was almost about just playing within himself and just doing what he does at an even like enhanced level. And I'm not taking anything away from him, but I just think that he's going to play his best basketball when he's benefiting from the team around him and when the team's playing the right way. So I feel like that's what I've seen that's different. It's not so much, I mean, Murray's three-point shot's obviously on fire, so mm -hmm. that's a key difference. But one of the main things I feel like you're seeing is the team just play the, the right style of basketball and open things up as Fox and others have laid out over the last three and these last two in particular. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's a good point too. Not forcing anything, letting the game come to him. I mean, that's just as important too. And what a performance really 26 points in the third. I wish I was watching it a little more closely. You're having a good time. Wearing yeah. your Christmas sweater. I missed it. Right? Yeah, I, at least I can say I was wearing that. I think it was good luck. Maybe I'll wear it uh, tonight. Yeah. Okay. But only when you're out. Are you going somewhere to watch the game? No. No. Do people maybe maybe Saturday, maybe Friday. Do people ever recognize your voice? They're like, "Hey, you're that uh you're that fucking schmuck from uh, that one podcast." <laughs> if they say anything, it just means that they listen to the podcast. They can call me whatever name they want. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you listen to it. You listen to King's Talk by Cap City Crown. Yeah. Oh yeah, crap sh crap shitty clowns. <laughs> Yeah, you can rob me. You, know you recognize my voice from our podcast? Feel free. Take my wallet. Here's my social security number. I don't care. Yeah. Here's the keys to my car. Thanks for recognizing us. We really appreciate it. <laughs> any, uh, what do they say? Any any publicity is good publicity? There you go. Even if you're getting robbed at gunpoint. <laughs> but, you know, it it was nice seeing, though, Murray against the Wizards. Because, I mean, the, the Kings are really pushing for this big three. I mean, Monk's great in his own. But, I mean, the big three, if the Kings want to succeed, is obviously Sabonis, Fox, and Murray. So it was it was actually kind of fun seeing them all score twenty five plus the other night against the Wizards and it was just like man if they can if this they can actually develop 
something into a consistent thing. I'm not expecting them to score 25 every night together, but I mean, if, they, I mean, if Murray can start like scoring around 20 plus a game, like Fox averages 30, Murray averages 22, and Sabonis averages like his 19 and triple double. And that's a, that's gonna be a lethal team, and you can see it in Murray now. Now, because we were like having questions about his development and this and that, but now it's like, yeah, this guy can score twenty two a night, like with his with his opportunities if he just puts the ball in the basket. So it's getting me a little more excited to see what this team can be capable of. Still don't know if he'll fully play at a consistent level like that the rest of the year. I wouldn't. I, I'm not expecting that. But next year, who knows? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things too is it's like. I wonder how, how much the back injury, because it wasn't around too long, and it seems to be in the rear view completely. Uh, I guess that's just worth noting. That could have been a factor in preventing him from getting to playing at this level. But again, this level over the last two is probably not going to be the standard, but something like 18 points a game or something like that is reasonable and critical. So something like that would be good. What's he averaging this season? He's averaging 16 points, so that's he can definitely get there. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And what's he shooting from three nowadays? Because, I mean, he was kind of lower, but he seems, ever since he came back from that back injury, it seems like he's been putting the ball in the bucket of a much higher clip. From three, from he's three. got it. He, yeah, he's got it up to a much more respectable 36.7%, which is actually amazing because he was shooting like 30% a week and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> I guess 12 of 15 helps or whatever. But we've been talking about trade rumors. and. Mm-hmm. Kuzma had a pretty good game against us the other night. How many did he score against us? In 27. I feel like he plays the Kings pretty well. I just see this post that I typed the Kings in on Google. It's a bold trade proposal that sends Kuzma to the Kings. And the trade offer by Sports Illustrated, the Kings received Kyle Kuzma and Patrick Baldwin Jr. for Harrison Barnes, Davion Mitchell, Chris Duarte, Kessler Edwards, and a 2028 first-round pick. How would you feel about the Kings going after Kuzma? Yeah, no. I don't think that would be smart at all. And I don't... I don't even think that that's an option in the Kings front office's mind. I think Katie Christensen was saying yeah. it really well on the broadcast. Just talking about, she was kind of essentially alluding to fit in being a connecting piece on the team. And Kuzma's style of play would not mesh as well, say, as a supple- more connecting or supplementary piece type player like Harrison Barnes. You know, we went through this whole thing in the offseason. I feel like if the Kings really wanted Kuzma, they probably could have gotten him this offseason. I know that the Wizards basically had first run and gave him a huge deal, but like if the Kings really wanted him, I feel like they could have gotten him. I don't know. I mean, with the with the contract you just signed, that's not even sustainable or tenable at this point. You know, and it just makes no mm-hmm. sense. It's an interesting thought, but no, <laughs> not at all. And I don't. Again, I don't even think that the front office would even consider that. Yeah, I don't. Who wrote that? Who said that? Was that just a trade proposal? Yeah, by Sports Illustrated. Was it Sports Illustrated or like a or a Fan Nation blog? And it said whatever it is. Oh, I don't, I don't know. Because Sports Illustrated's, I think, yeah. connected. I think it's Fan Nation, and so it's like yeah, blogs that are essentially about as credible as us. Yeah, inside the Kings FN. Yeah, that's probably yeah, Fan Nation FN. Yeah, yeah, it does say Fan Nation. So it's just a, it's just a, just a we could. We could say that about a whole host of players. Should the Kings trade for LeBron James, Davion Mitchell, and two exactly. second rounders? <laughs> Davion Mitchell and Harrison Barnes. <laughs> I love that's every trade proposal right now. It's like, yeah, OG and Obi, Davion Mitchell and Harrison Barnes, and maybe if they, you know, if they want some more, we'll throw in two seconds. <laughs> Look, this this brings up this brings up this is what I was thinking about last night. 
The Kings aren't going to trade for a third star. They're just not. Because the way to get a third star is going to, they're going to have to trade T.U. Murray. The closest thing they're going to get to trading for a big piece, because they're definitely, there's definitely a, a realm of possibility where they trade for a fairly big name. Maybe not necessarily a third star. That's why we talk about OG Ananobi a lot. I don't know if it'll be Ananobi, because it sounded like, based on reports, that similar to what you would consider an actual third star, the Raptors are looking for Keegan Murray in return for either Ananobi or Siakam. So I just don't see that as an option. And I can't come up with a name right now, but if the Kings wanted to go after a similar type player, kind of like a really, really, really good two-way player that's essentially like a, a better version of Barnes or Herder or something like that, you know, they have the ability to go out and get that person. I don't know who that person is right now. But in terms of like these Kuzmas, these Levines, these, even the Ananobi and stuff, but th- that's for a different reason. Just like that's not going to happen. Like everything you need to know about McNair is seen in the Harrison Barnes contract extension. He's not going to overextend assets to do something that's risky. You know, he took a big swing at defenses going after Sabonis, and it seemed risky at first because you were getting rid of Halliburton. But at the end of the day, when you look back at it and you think about how hard Sabonis works, how much he can be at the hub of an offense, and the fact that he has a skill set as he's proven over these last couple of years with Sacramento, that he's one of the best centers in the league, it's like that's not risky at all. You were getting... More stability, if anything. He's not going to do something that's going to be silly. So it's like when you talk about a Kuzma or a Levine, because in terms of Levine, Sam Amick concluded in his article on Monday a, 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 a nugget of information pointing out the fact that, like, well, you know, everybody's noting that Levine will get traded to the Lakers because of his connection to Clutch Sports, which represents LeBron, Anthony Davis, and a few other players on the Lakers, has a history of connections to LA, and also represents Levine. And Amick noted, if that's the case, you can't rule out the fact that De'Aaron Fox, as well as, I guess to a lesser degree, Trey Lyles and Juan Toscano-Anderson are all represented by Clutch Sports as well, and that Levine would be, quote, amenable to the idea of joining Fox in the backcourt. And it's like, would you want Levine replacing Herter? You know, if you could get the best out of Levine defensively, I think, and you could get him to play kind of within the offense and just allow things to open up for him and not play to the style that seems he likes to play, you know, because he's renowned as being a ball checker. You know, if he could do all those things, yeah, I mean, I think like his athleticism and his skill set, he could be obviously a better player than Herter, but is he going to want to do that connecting piece? He's a great three-point shooter, too. Let me point he that is. out. Like he, yeah, he's, he's a 38%. I mean, yeah. No, I, yeah, he's 38. <laughs> Look at the stats. He's been really good with Chicago. Mm-hmm. Really his whole career, so maybe a couple of years. If you look at his catch-and-shoot numbers, too, they're like over 40%. So, on mid-range and three-point shots. So, you know, he, he could. I think that if you could get him to be that guy and basically just be a better Kevin Herter, I mean, he'd be great. And I think you would definitely want to do that. But I'm not entirely sure that anybody's sold on the fact that he could do that and bring it on the defensive end a bunch of times. I think earlier this season, uh, the Bulls had a tough loss to the Nets. They lost by a few points. And one of the reasons that they lost was they had too many defensive lapses and you know Levine being the best player on the team his volume of mistakes on defense stood out the most and Billy Donovan gave the team a extensive film session about those defensive mistakes and afterwards Levine was asked about those lapses and he's like I didn't think there were any lapses I thought we were playing hard you know it's, it's almost like he lives in another world and last season he helped contribute to the stop you know, he proved and he has proven in certain moments that he can be a good defender. And he came up and came up with this critical stop late in the game, I think, against the Timberwolves. 
And afterwards, he was gloating about, oh, I'm like one of the best defenders, like on ball. I can guard anybody, like all this stuff, and, like being really confident. And it's like, yeah, you could do that, but the stats show that overall you're quite average because you don't bring it all the time. And it's just like he's at a certain point in his career, and he's shown this track record of kind of neglecting the reality on defense and the need to bring it all the time. That it's like, I'm not sure he'd ever change. You know, like. Mm-hmm. I don't think I think that the front office of the Kings is totally taking that into account. And again, back to my taking that back to my original point, it's just like anything that involves risk like that. Same thing with Kuzma in terms of fit. There's a lot of risk in that and the money, obviously. He's not going to do that. And it just doesn't make any sense. So it's just like in terms of the Kings trading for a third star, they're not going to do it. They're not going to get rid of Murray. They think Murray's going to be the third star and they're not going to take the risk. It's as simple as that. Yeah, I agree. That's all we got. I mean, that'd be cool, though. I mean, like, I, it would be. It would be cool, though. It'd be fun. I, I mean, was thinking about last night. He could. He would easily like if you could mold him into the type of player with the type of effort and the right focus on the right areas and doing the little things. He would be awesome. He would be. They would. The team. The Kings would be if they could maintain most of their depth. They could. They could easily make a run at a championship if he could instantly do that. But getting him to do that, let alone on the fly. Oh man, forget it. A lot of potential there, though. I mean, there's a lot of potential with any of these names, right? Any of the big names. Like, if they just buy into defense. Because, obviously, the offense isn't an issue with most of these guys. That's why Ananobi's, like, he's so coveted. At least by us, and probably Monte McNair, too. So, it's like... But, like, you, know, you think about Levine. It's like, he's very athletic. I mean, he has, he has the physical attributes to be a great defender. But, you know, he's also getting paid $40 million a year. But what's he need to play defense for? He's not... He's not fighting for a contract. And also, I'll say this, too. In terms of the defensive stuff, say what you will about Billy Donovan as a coach. He's one of those guys that is preaching defense and doing little things and working. From what I've gathered from watching him since coming from Florida or coming from the NCAA. And uh, from coming from Florida, he's a zombie. <laughs> uh, and it's just like. You've seen Levine's attitude sour, and you've seen little improvement in terms of bringing a ceaseless effort to the defensive end and to doing the little things under Billy Donovan. Do you think Levine would benefit or even want Mike Brown in his ear constantly about that stuff? Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't seem it just doesn't seem like the thing he would want to do. Now, granted, that's not taking anything away from Darvin Ham. You know, I think Darvin Ham would be just as hard on him. But, you know, you're talking about a LeBron-led team. The Lakers could feasibly make that work. They're a very unconventional franchise and organization, not just in basketball, but in sports, in terms of like star power and dealing with that, especially having LeBron. So maybe they can figure something out there. But seeing that with the Kings, I just don't, I I wouldn't bet on that. And I don't think that the Kings front offices. Yeah, I, I agree. The Kings aren't going to take any any big risks, especially the money Levine's getting paid. So that would just handicap them going forward. Uh, I want to make a note that uh, Keon Ellis has shot the three ball a little bit better over the last couple of games. Yeah, I think against OKC. Is that, that's when they broke the record of most three-pointers made, right? Or was that against... Yeah, that was against OKC, yeah. I believe. Yeah, and he had five of six, I believe. And or five of seven. Five yeah. of seven. I think Wiles <clears throat> went five of six. Anyways. Five of seven. He's at least showing that sign that he can be a great three-point shooter, which I think we talked about this even just kind of positing that he's a better three-point shooter just from form and, and whatnot, between him and Davion Mitchell, it just seemed clear that he had a better ceiling and a better ability from three. And, you know, you look at G League stats and what he's done in summer league, that backs that up. But Fox said something really interesting about 
him, I think, post-game of that OKC game, where he was like, you know, Keon is one of the best shooters in our shooting drills in practice, which kind of makes you think about Vizenkov, like, breaking that practice record uh, at the beginning of training camp. And it's just like, is the three-point shot the, the biggest difference? I mean, it's the main difference, really. I mean, there's little other little things, but Keon can hit open three, or Dave Young can't. It's just, it's just a wasted possession, where it's like, at least Keon, and he does everything right. I, I think Dave Young does, too, defensively. Offensively, he just, I don't know, without that shot, he just becomes limited in so many other functions. Where Keon, he can show that he is a threat from deep, so it opens up his game a little more. Uh, you said it, I mean, uh, Brown said it, that uh, he's one of the best shooters in their practices. I, I had a hard time believing that for a second because he just didn't really come out being the best three-point shooter when he took over for Fox in that game he started. But, I mean, ever since he went 5 for 7, and I mean, 6 for 15, it's still a high 30%, like a good three-point percentage in the league. So, yeah, I mean, he, he's he's a great backup because of it. I, I mean, that's what, it's, it felt like that's what we were missing in Davion, was that three-point shot. I mean, Keon's a pretty good defender himself. He's, always, he's usually in the right position. I mean, I, I think there was a stat where the Kings are only lost like a couple of games when Keon plays. And that's crazy. Yeah, I think the three-point shot thing is a huge factor in why he's being favored over Davion, both now and probably looking forward. I mean, it's easy to say that because Davion did set such a low bar. But another factor is the defense. I think, unequivocally, Davion Mitchell is the best on-ball defender in terms of ball pressure on a point-of-attack guard. Like, without question. He might even be one of the best in the league at that. But not only does Ellis have better versatility because he's a little longer, and he's got great hands, and he's strong relative to his frame, but I think one of the things that I always think about is when Mike Brown said in training camp at one point, it was just for a second, he was talking about defense, individual defensive guys, and he said, you know, obviously Davion's on-ball defense is his superpower. He still has some things to work on in terms of off-ball defense. And it wasn't like he was saying he's bad at it or anything like that. It's just there's room for improvement there. And Mike Brown said something interesting about Ellis. I don't remember if it was after the Wizards game or the one prior to that, but he said, he didn't compare him to Bruce Bowen, but he said Bruce Bowen was the type of player where you could trust him defensively to make his own choice. Because even if you wanted to make an aggressive play at the ball or a pass or something like that, he still had the ability to recover and get back to somebody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he said that, you know, he didn't compare him to Bruce Bowen, but he said that Keon is similar in that he can do that because his his ability to get back to his man is, is great. His ability to kind of move on the fly and adjust and make his own choice uh, is great. And you see it. He's all over the place defensively. And I feel like it was so obvious in Summer League. You know, you saw it in his first Summer League, and then you probably saw it in his rookie G League season. He has this nose for the ball, where it just seemed like wherever the ball was going, you would find Keon Ellis there. And he just continues to show that at the NBA level. And his instincts are so good. Davion Mitchell is strong. He's tough. He's relentless on ball. But Keon Ellis almost has like a sixth sense. And there's something to that. And I just think that that is... The three-point shot is obviously a huge difference. But I think Keon Ellis' ability to be an off-ball defender, to be a big play home run hitter on defense from time to time, is far more polished and going to be more impactful than the three-point shot. Although the three-point shot's obviously huge. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy we're saying this, because like, I mean, Davion is off tonight for a reason, but 
he's just seemed to regress so much this season. It's it's kind of crazy. He's, I mean, becoming unplayable at this point. Yeah, I think his confidence is, is shoddy at this point. How can it not yeah. be? You were drafted by this team in the lottery. You know, they they had three point guards. All of a sudden, the opportunity opened up where there was one less talented point guard on the team. He got relegated to a backup point guard role, which he played fairly well. Obviously, you'd like to see the three-point shot work a little bit better. But, I mean, obviously, Matthew Dolvadova wasn't going to really challenge him for the job full-time. Mm-hmm. And Mike Brown was still kind of setting a foundation, so he had Davion had more of a leash. But, I mean, you saw it in, like, the first game of the year. Like, he got into foul trouble. He never established a rhythm, an ability to maximize his superpower, let alone do other things. He couldn't do other things, and his superpower, as Mike Brown likes to call it, just never really surfaced consistently. So, how can that not affect your confidence at this point? No rhythm. You've lost playtime. I mean, he's a good teammate about it. He he doesn't make it apparent on the outside that, this is affecting him, but he's still short on threes. You know, I mean, he has some good defensive moments, but he's just playing in significant minutes. It's just one of those things where it's like he really, I think, needs a new home at this point. For him, it's going to be best for him. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him get traded at the deadline. Just, you know, I mean, it just doesn't seem like the Kings need him. I mean, move him while he can, I guess. I, I just, he, he has some value. He has a little value still. He's still a younger guy. He's showed that he has potential as a starter, even as a backup, and he has potential as a good defender. <laughs> Maybe someone else can focus more time on getting that three-point shot developed because it will open his game up so much. And I, I personally think if Davion can hit that three at like a 35% clip, he could be a starter in this league. I think he can. I think he's a little limited on his playmaking ability, but I, I I don't know. I just, I think he has it in him. He's a dog out there. He's going to give it his all on defense. If he and I don't think he's the worst offensive player, but I think that the lack of three point really limits him. I, don't, I think he has a decent mid range and a decent drive. But I mean, if you're just expecting that the whole time and like baiting him to take threes, then he's just going to get shut down on the inside. Yeah, we talked about it last week that his value's down, and that means he's not going to be a huge asset in any type of big trade. But there's I can't again I don't have an example off the top of my head, but maybe there's a guy that's in a similar situation as Dave Gunn that's a different position and there's a swap out there, or maybe he's there's a player out there that can be a role player at a different position and you include Davion in a trade with maybe a pick or something like that. He could definitely do something more small level to mid level trade. He can definitely be included in that and make a difference. Cause like we said last week, his value's down, but they that's only because of He's not playing. He's not playing very well. I mean, why pay a high price for that? But teams would still want him. He's still something to work with. He's still got a lot of potential. And I do agree with you. He he could he could easily start. And if the three ball started falling a little bit more, that could be huge. And again, I think it comes down to confidence. We saw him at the beginning of the preseason. I think that first preseason game, he knocked down like two big threes, one of them like a step back. Sunk him. He's coming in with confidence. If he can do that and force guys to kind of not go under every time on a screen, and he can attack more and have more variety, he can do that. But he needs to start somewhere else. He needs to be starting somewhere, I think. So, that's tough. But, I guess in terms of transactions, the Kings did sign Juan Toscano Anderson last week. It's a non-guaranteed one-year deal. I think it's a smart move in the fact that, I mean, obviously he's got the connection to Brown, so he knows the defense and what he wants, and he's going to do the little things. Even in a small sample size, in garbage time, and in a few, like, few second instances, I've seen him go vertical a few times. I've seen him have good closeouts, abandoning help, helping at the right time, abandoning help to 
get the clothes out, all these different things. You just kind of see little things, and it makes sense. And he's long, he's a versatile defender. But, I mean, how much of this is, how much do you think he's going to play, and how much do you think it's really that big of an impact? Probably not the biggest of impacts, really. I mean, I think they got him for being that versatile defender. Kind of fell in, maybe kind of like that KZ Akpala role, where, like, man, we really need some defense right now, throwing KZ. I think that's what the role he's going to play. We saw him at the end of that first quarter, I want to say, with like 10 seconds left. It's like, all right, throw him in for the last possession to replace some defense. <laughs> the Kessler Edwards role. So, I mean, he has some championship experience. He's a he's a vet, too. I don't think he sees the floor too much. But I think when he goes out there, even though he was part of that unit that didn't finish the game too well the other night against the Wizards, I think he's just going to get like some veteran leadership and try to you know, whatever Brown throws him into, probably mostly defense. I think he's going to help out right away. I think that's important, too. So I kind of like it. I just don't see him playing much. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think in terms of his character, if I remember correctly, I think Steve Kerr said something about him a few years ago where he quoted, uh, like, a, he took a Bill Walton wisdom, I guess, where it's like, you can tell a lot about someone's personal life and who they are by the way they play basketball. And that's so true. Juan Descano Anderson, Kerr said, because well, he's so hard and he gives it his all and he's constantly working. He worked his way from being undrafted up from the G League to being a championship, you know, contributor. So that's all going to work out. But one of the things that I really thought about when they made the signing was, man, this is a huge indictment of Chris Duarte and Kessler Edwards. I think Chris Duarte has struggled to limit his fouls. I think at the beginning of the season, he was fouling a lot, but a lot of those fouls, given the adjustment to wanting to play more physical, felt like fouls you could live with. It felt like it was just him being a tad bit too physical, just a little bit too much chest into somebody. And it was like, okay, you can live with that. That'll get better. But it never really did. He kept fouling at the same rate. He fouls more than JaVale McGee, who we've been complaining about the last <laughs> couple of weeks. Easily the, the most foul-prone player on the team this season, Chris Dorkett. And his three ball came around for like a couple games, but it wasn't really there. I feel like every time he was out there, even with Sabonis, it wasn't like the chemistry was on full display. It didn't always seem like he was 100% comfortable or uh, decisive on what he was doing. So, I mean, Juan Descano Anderson can kind of fill the role or at least do a lot of the things that Duarte can do as well. And, I mean, Duarte might be a better three-point shooter, but it's not like Duarte's proven in his short NBA career that he's a true through-and-through three-point shooter. How is he going to earn his opportunity to win back time on the floor. You mentioned that closing lineup against the Wizards. He was part of that. I think there was a moment where he kind of just put up a three without much ball movement, and you can only wonder where he's at. He got thrusted into a new team. He's probably struggling with a completely different role. There's a language barrier, which probably makes the transition to a new team in town different. It's one of those things where it, it seems like it's difficult for Duarte, and the Kings are trying to do stuff here, and they're clearly not waiting around for him. And it's just so interesting to think about, because when they got Duarte, Duarte was almost like the, I mean, Vizenkov obviously was the biggest addition, but Duarte, even more than like JaVale McGee, felt like, oh yeah, like this guy's going to be great in the rotation. He's going to lend a lot to both ends of the floor. It's going to be huge. In 25, 26 games into the season, it's just like, I can't even envision how he's going to get time. You said there's a, there's a language barrier. Does he not speak English? Well, no, he speaks English. He just doesn't speak it well, but he has to, I, they've noted a few times like Mike Brown's had to know. And I think even Katie Christensen and Mark Jones or Kyle Draper have noted a few times that he has to have like a translator there a lot of the time. And, and that makes one of the things really nice with Sabonis because Sabonis speaks fluent Spanish. So oh, I had I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, 
I don't think the language barrier, just to be clear, is not a huge factor, but I think it is a factor in the transition to a new team. You're still a young player. You've got a new role. You had a really down year. And that's got a, it's not the most comfortable situation. Right it is interesting with Duarte. I mean, he showed a lot of potential in his rookie season, was hurt mostly last year. And I mean, like I've said a million times, untouchable from the Pacers in that Halliburton trade. Then we get him. But yeah, I mean, like you said, he's lost his spot in the rotation, a lot of fouls, just his three-point shooting hasn't been that great. He's definitely been a disappointment this far. Hopefully he can get it back, but, you know, get get back his mojo from what, how he was, I guess, playing, the trajectory he was playing his rookie season. But it's tough. You're talking about him being that backup to Barnes. I thought his defense would keep him on the floor. It seemed like it was keeping him in the rotation pretty steadily when things were kind of shifting and Mike Brown was still fiddling with stuff. But he hasn't shown a reason that he can stay on the floor if he's going to just continue fouling. And again, the offense hasn't really ever looked all that convincing. And he's very ambitious with some mm. of his shot attempts, too. Like, I think he made maybe, like, one, like, fall away or step back, three in a corner. But he's tried stuff like that before, and it's just like, that is not yeah. your shot. Not in this offense. So, maybe he adjusts and gets back out there and proves, you know, that he should be in the rotation. But, again, he was part of that closing lineup against the Wizards. He definitely didn't give anybody a reason to play him on Monday night. So, just more tough work and tough sledding, sledding ahead for uh, Chris Duarte. For our boy CD. CD3. Is he three? Yeah. CD Trace. So, <laughs> CD yeah. Trace Jackson Davis. Chris Duarte, as I called him for a second. You said it like the first time you ever said his name on a recorded episode. You said it, and then it was in a clip, and someone like said it. And now I <laughs> pointed that out. Like, Duarte, I'm not even listening to the rest of this video. You've not let that go. <laughs> nope. I messed up. I have to think about it every time. Every time I close my eyes trying to go to bed. It's just like all the regrets in my life. Not You're like, God, I hope they trade him. I hope they get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, I can't exactly. even look at him. Okay, just trade him. Him and Davion for OG and Anobi. That should be enough. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about the other day? Because we were talking about it this summer. With You know, what's Davion Mitchell going to do this summer? Or this season? We were like, you know. A lot of the time from three, Davion's not Davion, he's Davion. <laughs> and I was like, we can do the same play on words with Keon Ellis. Keon, Ke- Keon. Oh my God, you are totally right. That's funny. I'm like, shit, that's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> and he might he might really become the next K.E. too. Yeah. Jesse Edwards falls out, of, falls out of the team. K.E. on K- K-E on K.E. K.E. 2-3. K.E. 2-3. 2K. Plug it in. Dude. Keon Ellis. He's the truth. Alabama, he's a roll tide, the Crimson Tide, whatever. It's a mascot, I guess. Better than what's the worst the mascot? The Crimson Tide. I mean, it's cool, I guess, but like if you're actually thinking about what the word means, it's like a tidal wave that's red. Is it worse, like for a mascot? That's what I think, I guess, in my head. Crimson Tide. I don't know, I don't know if that's. I don't know. Or the Stanford Tree. The Stanford Tree. That'd be fine. What's worse? I feel like there's probably a storefront for a particular product for only individuals over the age of 21 that's called Stanford Tree <laughs> somewhere in San Mateo County. <laughs> that is very true. Have you ever seen the Stanford yeah. Tree mascot though? Like with the face? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I used to play NCAA football on like PlayStation yes. 2 and do the mascot game and they do like Syracuse's mascot which was like the little ball and then like either play Stanford or the Syracuse's mascot? I have no idea. I think it's like a spherical guy. He's like a ball. He 
just like orange. I don't know what he is or what his name is or anything like that. I don't even know what Syracuse's mascot is supposed to be. <laughs> I need to look this up. You know, you know what mascot's actually kind of funny is the Jacksonville Jaguars mascot. It's obviously a jaguar, but he's like, I don't know. He just they give him like a belly, but like he, yeah, look at that Syracuse mascot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, he's just always like he's always like trying to like he's trying to like distract like kickers <laughs> so he's always like like moving his belly up and down and kind of like thrusting it like by the field goal so you just like see that in the background <laughs> on the other team's kicking and it was, and it was so the, the 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 jaguar is fat yeah he's, he's a little he's a little chunky got a little bit of a belly <laughs> so he's always just kind of like go going up and down with it trying to just dis- distract the kicker they probably took a lot of account into the demographics of jacksonville and they're like yeah make the jaguar heavy set <laughs> More relatable to the fan base. <laughs> Moo, roast on Jacksonville. Oh, come at us, Jacksonville. Come on, Jax. Jackson Mahomes. Come on, Jack. Come get me, Jack. <laughs> anyway, I, I, I tell you what, Jack. Um, Who's that? Yeah. That's the President of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I, tell, I, tell, I tell you what, Jack. I tell you, you, uh, That's not very good. That kind of got away from it. That's but, right. you just I tell, you, I tell your... you what, Jack. Who's Jack? Who, pretty good. Who's he talking to? Anyone? I don't know. He always says he's probably talking. He probably thinks he's talking to John F. Kennedy. <laughs> Does he actually say Jack though? Know. Yeah, it's like that's like his that was like his catchphrase. It's like <laughs> I don't know. the most hack way to impersonate him. Like, Listen to you, Jack. I can do. I'll do twenty push-ups right now. You don't think I can do twenty push-ups? I'll do it right now. <laughs> I think he like literally said that to a guy. Interesting. That's hilarious. Honestly, yeah, I know. Look at that. Anyways, uh, back on Kings. Do we have anything else? I don't. I don't remember. No, I was gonna mention. Oh, you were. We'll mention it. That you know that Kings commercial with Sam Elliott, the cowboy guy doing the the for the city edition uniforms or the, the royal blue color uniform. You know that commercial? <laughs> no, I didn't know what you're talking about. You don't like the cowboy, like Sam Elliott, the actor. I know who Sam like, Elliott is. Yeah, but no, born in Sacramento. No. Well, you haven't seen that commercial? God, you really take a lot of bathroom breaks during the game. Though. I know. I, I'm amazed. You've never seen that commercial? Sam Elliott's well, from Sacramento? Well, he's Sac- doing like, this whole... Yeah, what? I know. What? He was born in Sacramento, moved to Portland, Oregon when he was 13. But he did the he did the commercial for the thing, and he's like, we tip our crown. And it's, you know, Sam Elliott used to do the Coors Banquet Beer commercial. Oh, my goodness. That was Sam Elliott? The, it's the Banquet Beer. Banquet yeah. Beer. I believe so. I believe so. I love Sam and uh, cool. he did he did that, and I feel like they missed a real opportunity at the end of the Kings commercial where they go Kings the Bean Team. Oh my God! I mean, I need to look up this. Why wouldn't they do that? Why would they not do that? Do like at the end of the commercial, because he does this whole thing where he's like, "We're tipping our crown to like Archibald and to Mitch Richmond and Bibby and all this stuff," and it's just kind of like going through the history. It's an, it's a kind of a cool commercial, just like from you know, appreciation for a loyal fan base or whatever. It makes sense. It's cool. They got Sam Elliott to do it, but they really missed a gimme at the end. Okay. I, I'm going to look up this commercial. I, I never have seen this. I, I, I don't. I mean, I, I do take a lot of bathroom breaks, but I, I watch these commercials. Always. Because I'm always like, did you see that commercial? You're like, nah, I was taking a piss. I'm like, okay. That's well, literally the only time you text I have me. all these funny things to say about commercials. <laughs> that yeah. is funny. Okay. I'm going to look up the Sam Elliott one. I will report on it next podcast. I'm going to rank it like an IMDb ranking. Right, Kings the, the Bean Team. The Bean Team. Kings the Bean Team. 
We should. Can you do a T-shirt where you do Kings in the Coors font, and then do the Beam Team, where it would say the Banquet Beam? Right. Yeah. I don't see why not. Can you? Yeah, I think I think you could do. It. You see T-shirts of that all the time. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Well, to keep a look on the shop, folks, for that, and keep a look on the shop. Maybe, be sure maybe to... we'll do a partnership with Sam Elliott, and he'll do a commercial about it. Dude, that'd be crazy. What's up, Sam? Sam Elliott. You want to partner with Cap City Crown? Yeah. Be like, I think I could get down with that. I, I think I could join your posse. I can get down with that cowboy. Sam Elliott, ladies and gentlemen. John, I mean, he's just Sam Elliott. He, John's he's done trying to be a, a journalist. He's just trying to go into impressions. Weird. I mean, rank is Joe Biden and Sam Elliott <laughs> in the comments. Does he have a future ahead of him? I can also do my. I can also do my Stan Van Gundy. Huh. I went up. I went up to Todd. I told him, you know, I said Todd. You know, the guacamole you made giving me gas. So I gotta just say that, you know. And that's really, you know, the the the, the team is popping right now. It's popping like popcorn, which is going right through my system. <laughs> Don't eat the stadium popcorn. Stadium yeah, is gross. That's a little more like a more of a Long Island guy, but that's supposed to be my stadium now. Accurate enough. My Mark Jones is good you know, too. Just keep them coming. That that ball is popping around like popcorn. Is somebody give me a snack? Because I'm hungry. <laughs> Mark Jones or Mark Jackson. Mark Jones. You might have said Mark Jones. But I was thinking Mark Jackson, so who knows? Mark Jones. That was a good Mark Jones. Somebody call Domas's wife. He's flirting with a triple double <laughs> again. Take the microphone, Sacramento. My bowels are about to explode. I have to go to the bathroom. You have a do you have a Kyle Draper? Trey Lyles puts up the shot. Oh, 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 he's aging like a fine gravy. <laughs> he's heating up like a fine wine. He's heating up like a fine wine. Yeah. Katie, I don't know. I don't know. I want to see some defense. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was your worst one, but it's also the funniest for some reason. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well. If you listen this far, you got you got that's your free gift. For today. <laughs> yeah, that's your Christmas present Hopefully. for us. We won't be talking till after. Oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's crazy. No, I, that won't be able to on Monday because it's Christmas. <laughs> um, well, we'll probably do it in person. Yeah, good great. point. <clears throat> well, wrapping this up, Kings play next three games at home, any of their home stand against the Celtics. Mentioned already, they have a back-to-back against the Suns and Timberwolves to close out their homestand. Hopefully, they go 6-0, but a good test to see where the Kings really are in that good-to-great scale. But, John, wrap it up for us, would ya? Katie, I think I need to change my pants. All right. I want to thank you all for tuning in, and as always, until next time, have a good one.